Well, as we're walking through the five solas of the Protestant Reformation from the 1500s and beyond, it's exciting that we get to focus on, on one of my favorites, grace. One of the very essence of, of God that um, we all desperately need. Grace alone, sola gratia, is one of the distinguishing characteristics that separate true biblical Christianity from every false gospel that is presented. Grace alone is simply acknowledging that the Bible teaches that the totality of our salvation is a gift from God. It's not that we meet Him halfway. If, if we'll do X, Y, and Z, if we'll adjust a few things here, then God will meet us at that point. If God didn't provide all of salvation, we have nothing. Our key text from uh, this thought is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace, just let the weight of that sit on your moment. For by grace you have been saved. And this is what? Through faith, which we spoke about last week. Your trust, believing, just surrendering. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. There's nothing you add to your salvation to, to make it complete. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. When you get to heaven, we're not going to be looking at our batting averages. And I've always thought about it. I'm a baseball fan. I played baseball. I love baseball. You know, and even the best of the best will bat 300. That means, you know, 30% of the time they get a base hit. That means 75 or 70% of the time they fail. <laughs> and uh, if we think we're going to get to heaven on our batting average, we don't understand the, the holiness of God. It's like the famous hymn says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved, would you help me here? A wretch like me. That's not typically in your daily vocabulary, I'm sure. But I think the hymn writer knew it well. When we talk about grace, it's not just, oh, it's a nice gift. It is amazing. His amazingness, his amazing gift of grace to us is because we are so amazingly wretched. It had to reach so far down to, to capture us. Saved a wretch like me. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind. I mean, I could do nothing to see it, but now I see based on his grace. One reason so many reject this doctrine of, of sola gratia, grace alone, is that they struggle to accept what the Bible teaches about the sinful condition of humanity. We think we're pretty good people. We do the best we can. God grades on a curve. But you have to understand, there's two important truths about what grace means. Number one is that God is good. That's one of the definitions. Grace means that God is good, but grace also means that we are not. Well, why does grace have to say that we are not? Because there would be no need for grace if we were good. If we were equal to where God is. If we were on His standard of holiness. Because we are not, and we're in a condition that we can do nothing about it, God in His goodness, in His grace, reaches people who are not that are separated and sinful. 
Everything we believe about God's grace must be comprehended with these two statements. There's little debate with the thought that if there is a God, and some people still struggle with that, if there's a God, He must be good. But the second statement about there's no good in us is hotly debated and denied, even among some who attend church. Even though uh, they say they have a faith, it, it's, they do not capture what the Bible teaches about our need for incredible, amazing grace because we're not that bad. It sounds too strong. It sounds too judgmental. It's too negative, and we don't need any more negativity in our culture, certainly. Right, Mark? But if you want to understand grace. You have to understand where you are and why you need it. In a recent survey of self-identified Christians, listen to this. The majority that were interviewed, these are self-identified. Are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. All right. So, what do you believe about the statement, when it comes to salvation, God helps those who help themselves? The majority agreed with that statement. God only helps those who will help themselves. Therefore, God is good, and if we add a little goodness to the mix, then we've got a Christian salvation wrapped together. In the same survey, nearly half of the people, just shy of 50%, believe that there are many ways to God besides Jesus alone. These are self-identified Christians Somehow, they missed actually what the Bible teaches. They must have skipped that Sunday sermon and Sunday school lesson. And a third of those who are self-identified Christians in the survey, one-third, 33%, said that all good people go to heaven. That's a statement that will lead people to hell. If there was... Good people on God's standard, we wouldn't need Jesus. And we wouldn't need grace. It's not helpful if you have cancer and the doctor says, well, you're doing pretty good. Let's just cover up the stuff and not look at the stuff that may kill you. Let's just look at the positives. You ate a salad this afternoon for lunch. That's wonderful. You drink water all the time. Just go and be merry. Do you want a doctor who's going to tell you the truth and look for solutions, or are you going to want one that just covers up the condition of your own heart and act like everything's okay? It's not loving to ignore the very condition we're in, and it's certainly not loving if you know the solution, you know what brings healing to keep that from those who need it most. Everything that these believers, so-called believers, are holding on to contradicts what the Bible says. It does not align with what Jesus has taught and why He came. Sinclair Ferguson, great preacher and theologian, said this, thinking that I deserve heaven is a sure sign I have no understanding of the gospel. CJ, you believe that? I'm just making sure you're paying attention. That if, if, 
if you believe the things that these self-identified Christians believe, and you believe everybody's just basically going to go to heaven, it's a sure sign you have no understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ and why we should be proclaiming it. It contradicts Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. Look at these words on the screen. None is righteous. Would you just say that out loud with me? None is righteous. Not not a one. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. These are tough words that Paul writes here. No one does good, not even one. Now we love the word all. And we love the word everyone. But when it comes to sin, are we willing to embrace what the Bible teaches? That it does not matter your, your, your orientation, where you come from. It does not matter your financial standing. It doesn't matter what language you speak. There's not a person on the planet. The greatest that we see in our culture versus the worst in prison and, and, and deserving the death penalty. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, and none is righteous. The Old Testament even says your good deeds are as as good as filthy, dirty rags. No one. Well, if no one is righteous, no one understands or seeks God on their own. All have turned aside. Together they've all become worthless. That means all people are in the same position of needing God to do something on our behalf. Because you might wear the right clothes and you say the right things and you have the right degrees doesn't put you in greater standing with God when it comes to eternal security. I mean, you notice the the phrase, not one. Two times he had to say that for the slow learners. Not one. Not even one. Now, someone may not agree with this statement, but it's certainly crystal clear on the condition of all of humanity. We are born into this world sinners. We have a sin nature. It's not that we sin and therefore now become sinners. It's that we have a nature that was inherited from, from Adam all the way through the line, that we have a sinful nature. Therefore, out of our nature, we sin and we need redemption. Rather than acknowledge our total helplessness and hopelessness apart from grace, many people want to believe that they have a role to play in their salvation, which gives them pride when they look at others who haven't done what they have done. Western culture is saturated with the idea that that we are masters of our own destiny, captains of our own souls. The idea that... We are going to achieve God's favor if we just do enough. Anselm of Canterbury, early church father, said this. You have not yet realized how great your sin is. Sin is a big deal. Mark and MJ just got married this past week. Congratulations. I can imagine that uh, when he was proposing to her, he says, you know what? I'm going to be 95% faithful to you. I mean, that's that's an A. 
You know, most of you would just die for a 95% on some kind of exam. And, and Mark gets on his knee and says, you know, I'm willing to be 95% faithful to you. I'm going to be there. You know, and if you don't find me just 5% of the time, you know, don't worry. I'll be back. <laughs> and I, I know MJ well enough to know she would have just knocked the cred out of him right then. <laughs> Listen, we're not... We're not adding anything, really. Let's just come to God and say, you know what, God? I am not full of faith. I do not have perfection. I am going to fail. And God says, that's why you need me, and I'm going to give you grace. And then I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to work in you. And just at the moment that you give your heart to Christ, you, you think, well, I'm going to now be faithful. I've got the Spirit of God in me. No, what you have is now the Spirit in you that's going to fight with the old nature that has not yet been eradicated. One day, it will be removed. When we get to heaven, the sinful nature will no longer be in us. And we're not going to be fighting the, the, the old man any longer. It's going to be completely removed, and you're going to be able to praise without any hindrance you're not going to have the temptations that you struggle with today. Even as a faithful person, you're not going to be fighting with that. But today, God's grace is as much needed in your life as it is the point you accepted His invitation. That we need grace to be saved, and we need grace every day. We say, I love Jesus, so why do I still have wicked thoughts? Why do I still say things I shouldn't say? Why is my heart still fighting a battle between, I want to do this, but I'm not. I'm, I'm doing this, and I shouldn't. You're fighting the Romans 7 battle that Paul talks about. He says, why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? Why is it that, that, that I, I prayed this morning, God, give me patience. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to love the people in my life. And then you get in the car, and it's all destroyed in five minutes on the roadways. Because we still have a sinful nature that still is selfish and prideful and wants what we have. But at least with the Holy Spirit of God and the grace that He continues to give us, new mercies every morning, because he is faithful, even the that we have a fighting chance that God is going to win the more we surrender to him. Oh, how desperately we need grace. If we don't understand on the front end of our salvation, we'll never understand throughout our Christian life how much we need grace. God, give me grace today for my failures. Thank you that you extend your loving kindness to me when I don't deserve it. So what is grace? I'm going to ask her, answer a few questions. If you're taking notes, they're in the, the bulletin. I'll walk, walk through these fairly uh, quickly. But what is grace? Sometimes this, this phrase, this word is defined as unmerited favor, which is true, but it's so much more. Unmerited favor. We don't uh, earn it. We, 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 we're not in a position that God says, oh, I'll recognize what you, your contribution it's we've done nothing and we get God's favor anyway. But grace actually is a contrary to merit favor. That, that trying to add to our salvation distinguishes uh, or, 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 or try to extinguishes the grace given. Grace is God reaching out to guilty sinners who deserve death and hell. And he showers kindness on them. The great theologian early in our, our country, Jonathan Edwards, brilliant man. He said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except sin that made it necessary. So bring your sin and let God conquer it. 
the gospel of the good news of God. The gospel is the good news of God rescuing sinful and separated people. Restoring them through forgiveness and adoption into his eternal family. Through, the faith, through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today, if you are not sure about your relationship with Jesus, you're not sure you even believe God could, could love someone like you, realize that there is nothing you can do apart from just trusting him that will give you complete forgiveness and an enabling grace to trust him daily. Test to see that you're in the faith. Don't look at your works. Don't look at your resume. Look at your heart for Christ. Are you broken over your own sin? Do you lean on him for forgiveness and, and, and enabling to overcome the temptations that you have? Do you look for the ways out that he has provided? And you say, it's not based on what I do, but it's based on what God does in me. The Baptist faith and message, which we hold to as our doctrinal statement, says this, only the grace of God can bring man into his holy fellowship and enable man to fulfill the creative purpose of God. Do you realize God has a creative purpose for you? And you'll only be able to step into that purpose, to fully understand the purpose, to, to see it and, and experience his purpose when you surrender your life to the grace that he has for you, that he would cleanse you completely. And though Satan will try to throw things at you, uh, temptations, but also accusations, oh, look at you, you're failing again. Oh, look at you, you said you believed in him, but, but you're struggling. You have some doubts today. Oh, look at you. you, you blew it again. Satan loves to throw things at you. And you know what you can say? Yes, I did blow it, but I'm thankful for the grace of God that enables me to overcome it, and I am no longer bound by your accusations or the sin that was captive, uh, captive, holding me captive. But I am now free to live live for him. And though I may struggle today, his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And I have a brand new start again today by his grace alone. Oh, we need his grace today. Do you need it today? Do you need it tomorrow? Do you need it the next day? Don't think that your salvation was just on a certificate at your baptism and you just go on. You don't have to think about it again. I have a life insurance policy. It's a term life, but I bought it when I was in my 20s. I forgot about it other than the little tick off my, my, my bank account. But it's coming to the conclusion. I guess I'm old enough that it's about to expire. I got to do something with it. I forgot about it. And I, I got to do something about that, right? This is not how salvation works. I got to think about it every single day, every day that I'm struggling, every day that I'm succeeding. I need His grace. That ought to be on the forefront of your mind. Salvation by grace starts with God, not with man. He took the initiative. We love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. He makes the first move. If God didn't make the first move of grace in our lives, we wouldn't have ever moved at all. Too many believe grace means we do our part, God does his. That's not grace. That's just an exchange. A man gave a testimony of how God had saved him one time in a public forum. He, he was just sharing all that God had did for him. And afterward, a person asked him, well, you said a great deal about God's part in your salvation, but you didn't say anything about your part of salvation. And the man paused, and then he responded, please forgive me. My part was to run away from God as fast as I could. And I kept running 
until he caught me. Oh, that was my testimony as well. Some of you are about to be caught because God is after you. Because he loves you. And he sees the direction of your life. And he sees what's happening. And he doesn't want you to go off the edge. He's coming and he's going to grab a hold of you. And he's going to pull you in close. And he's going to love you. And you're going to just melt and say, thank you, God, for loving me, even though I didn't love you. We owe everything to God. Why? Because he has done everything for us. Why do I need grace? Second question. Let me just walk through a few areas in Scripture that I think were, were helpful to understand why I need it. Apart from grace, the grace of God, we were, let me just walk through these. We were so dead that only God could make us alive. You realize that? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. In uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and, and verse 4 and 5, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Anybody ever walked up to a casket and told somebody, Hey, you remember that five bucks you owed me? Go ahead and pay up now. No, you're not going to do that because there is nothing they can do. They're dead. Spiritually, we are dead in our trespass. In our sin, we're dead. We're not, we're not uh, attuned to what God is saying to us and, and, and calling us to. We're dead. But God, being rich in mercy, verse five, uh, 4 says, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Even the making alive as a gift of God. He came to you as a dead, spiritual dead person running in your own sin. And he opened your eyes and he showed you his beauty so that you could respond in faith. Martin Luther is one who said, God creates faith in the human heart the same way he created the world. He found nothing and he created something. Oh, that's beautiful. Apart from grace, we are so dead, only God can make us alive. Apart from grace, we are so blind that only God could give us sight. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 and 6. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We were blind. If you see it, it's because God has opened your eyes to see it. The God of this world is, is trying to blind us, but the God of all creation has given us light so we can see the beauty of Jesus. Why do we need grace? Because we were so sinful that only God could cleanse us. Just going and taking a shower or a bath is not going to take away all your sins. But in Psalm 51, verse 5 and verse 7 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. I was born as a, as a sinner. It says, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Only God can totally cleanse the birth defect that you have. We were so sinful and so heart sick that only God could heal us. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and verse 14. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Which, by the way, so many times in our culture, I hear the phrase, just trust your heart. 
your heart is sick. Without the cleansing of God, without, without Him reshaping, taking out your, your heart of stone and putting in a heart of flesh that's moldable and shaped by Him, but without that, that, that trans, uh, uh, transition from sinner to save, uh, being saved, a, a saint, you're sick. Don't trust your heart. Only give your heart to Christ and then trust Him who can control your heart. He says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But then in verse 14, Jeremiah cries out, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. If you want cleansing, don't try to heal yourself. Surrender to God, and He can heal you completely. See, apart from grace, we were so lost that only God could find us. And save us. In Luke chapter 19 verse 10 it says. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. You know the beauty of Luke 15. You you recall that there was a lady who lost a, a, a coin. She's desperately searching for it. There's a man who lost a sheep. He's desperately searching for it. There's the son who, who takes off the prodigal. And, and, and he needs to be uh, sought. And God sought him out and brought him back. I, I love that, 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 that area. That, that It's the son of man who came to seek and to save that which was lost. I love in the story though. If, if you look at those parables. Especially in Luke 15. That. When, when, the, when, the, when the shepherd is looking for the sheep that wandered off, there's 99 there, they're in good position, one has wandered off, and he goes and seeks them, brings them back, and he celebrates. When the, when the wife is, or the, the, the woman is sweeping through the house looking for the lost coin, where is that? Where is that? She finds it, and she brings all her friends together, and they celebrate. And it says in, in that passage that, and, and, and likewise... In the presence of the angels, there is much rejoicing. I've often thought people get it wrong when they say, isn't it exciting all the angels are celebrating? And it doesn't say that. If, If the shepherd finds the sheep and he celebrates, and the woman finds her coin and she celebrates, and it's likewise that... When God finds a sinner and and captures them and rescues them, he may gather the angels. But what does it say in the passage? In their presence, there is much rejoicing. Who is the one rejoicing greater than anybody? It's God. Because God is the seeker. God is the Savior. The Lord came to seek and to save you. And when you get saved... Many people may rejoice, but there's one who is most rejoicing. It is your God who loves you. Even while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Apart from grace, we're so lost that only God could find us and save us. Apart from grace, we were so helpless that only God could change us. In Jeremiah, uh, also in chapter 13, verse 23, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopard change his spots? Then also, you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. Somebody says, well, well, well I need God, or therefore I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to make some New Year's resolutions. Can you really change the nature that you have without external help coming internally? You can't. 
We're so helpless. Even in our good, our best efforts, we will always fall short of the glory of God. Without Jesus, we are sinful, lost, helpless, hopeless, doomed, and ultimately damned. We need the grace of God in our lives. Nothing in us was worth saving. Nothing we can do can save us. Only God, by His grace, can we be redeemed and set eternally free from sin and have an eternal home with Him. That's the true condition of every person, and that's the opportunity that we need today. So what difference does grace make? As we conclude this, this time together, I want us to consider a couple of things that grace does. Number one is grace destroys all human confidence. In Romans chapter 3, I'm going to just walk through chapter 3, verse 23, 24, and 25. I'll show you this outline. It says, grace destroys all human self-confidence, both before salvation and even during salvation. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've already spoke about that. All have sinned. So there's nobody who can say, well, I'm a little ahead of somebody else, or I may not be the, the greatest, but I'm not the worst. All are on the same platform in a sense that we've all sinned apart from the grace of God. We are all doomed. So there is no self-confidence. There's no pride that could be added to this. In the deepest biblical sense, we must replace self-esteem and self-confidence, mis misaligned self-esteem and self-confidence, with a God-esteem and a God-confidence. I don't trust myself, but I trust God. I don't always have wisdom, but I know God has wisdom. I know that I will fail, but God will never fail me. Apart from God, there is no firm ground for self-esteem and self-confidence. That's why we sing old hymn, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. There's nothing we add. That is great theology. Any song we sing, whether modern or ancient, ought to be based on great theology. Because what we sing, we remember. And what we remember, we apply. And when we have shallow songs, it does not matter. There are some shallow songs from the old days, and there are shallow songs, you know, done today. And I'm like, where is the theology that talks about God as He has revealed Himself? On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is what? Sinking sand. There's no place for pride or self-confidence. Grace destroys all human self-confidence. Grace also frees us from earning God's favor. Even in your beliefs, in, in your, your, your following of God now as a believer, it says in Romans 3.24, we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You are redeemed because of what He has done, not because of what you add to it. It frees you from, from the, 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 the struggle going, am I good enough? Am I going to make it? How many times have I seen uh, uh, supposed believers, and perhaps they are, but they get to a season of their life and not everything's going well. The relationship are broken up. Uh, the, they've lost the job. The finances are gone down. And they are starting to, to doubt if they have lost, have I lost God's favor? Am I in God's favor? Have I not done well enough? To, I forgot to have my quiet time this week. Oh no, God's coming after me. If you have that theology, you'll never be able to have freedom in Christ. 
It does not mean that we live a licentious life, a lawless life. I was asked last week after the message, how do you, how do you take uh, the faith and, and basically grace and compare it to what James says without, you know, uh, faith without works is dead. Listen to me. When you are saved by grace, you will remain in grace. Prior to being saved by grace through faith in Christ, you're always on a treadmill. You're always on, on the, the circular pattern. I'm trying to, am I doing good enough? Am I doing this, doing this? You've always got this. When you are saved by faith, then what do you do? Does that mean, well, I've got my life insurance, I've got my fire insurance, I can just go about my way? No. Now you have the Holy Spirit doing his, helping you desire the things of God, and you have a passion for it. The works will be just evidence of God's working in you. You're not saved by works, but you were certainly saved for good works. The, this is where I go back to. Oftentimes, this is test to see if you're in the faith. All right, God, do I still have a heart for you? It doesn't mean that I, I don't struggle. I don't, I, don't, I don't have some failure times. Certainly, there are days, that, there are weeks, quite frankly, there are months, there are seasons sometimes. I get into a state, I'm just, I, I, I'm struggling. And, and you know what makes the difference? Whether I lean on Christ or continue to lean into my issues. And sometimes God slaps me around a little bit. He's very gracious and gentle. But sometimes he lets me fall on my face. And then all I can do is look up and say, okay, I get it. I've been running on my own. I've been trying to solve all my problems without your wisdom. Uh, and, and, and even from my background, I'll say, God, look at what I did. Aren't you proud of me? Do you see? What an utter failure that is. I need to be freed from that. You need to be freed from that. God's not impressed by what you do. But he gets overjoyed when you just trust him and let him do something through you. You rest in him. God, fill me today with your love. Fill me today with your compassion. Fill me today with your wisdom. Fill me today with whatever. In those areas that I try to go off on my own, if you would gently correct me, or roughly correct me if you need to, but you discipline those you love, and I need to be disciplined, and I need to be brought back into trusting you and just living out what you've already given me. God is gracious, and we don't need to do anything to make him more gracious. He is already gracious. John three sixteen, you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave. You didn't ask for it. You didn't know about it. You didn't know your condition or need he gave. So it's just the recognition. We get freed from earning God's favor because redemption comes through Christ Jesus alone. And lastly, grace enables us to serve God without fear. Sometimes we wonder, am I praying enough, witnessing enough, serving enough to please God? And the answer is no, you'll never do enough. That's why we just trust in Him. Look at verse 25 of Romans 3. Redemption is in Christ Jesus that we spoke about, whom God put forth as a propitiation. It's a fancy word. You probably don't use that very often. It just means the, the atonement, the covering, the blood shed for you. Puts them together as, as the, the, the sacrifice that was required to cover over our sin. A propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Just receive it. Acknowledge it. Trust him in what he has done. This was to show God's righteousness because in his forbearance, he passed over 
former sins. He's passing over your sins when you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus by faith. If you understand that God accepts us on the basis of what Christ has done, then you can rest in Him because you know that God looks at you as His redeemed child, adopted into His family, and He finds pleasure in you, and He is the one building you up. He's not tearing you down. Grace alone. Another hymn I'll bring out. Glenn Knobloch loves when I does it to do this. Is that right, Glenn? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. I have nothing to bring. I'm completely bare. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That is a rich yet powerful hymn. You think about that first line, nothing in my hand I bring. That's true if you're going to be saved. It's also true when you're living out your life as a believer. Once again, God, I'm coming to you. Nothing do I bring. I need everything that you have for me. I need you to help me. We come to God with the empty hands. Perhaps that's why some people raise their hands in this kind of position. Empty, would you fill? We need God's grace because without it, our hands will always be empty. Consider the two statements about amazing grace. God saves people who give up trying to save themselves. And God saves sinners while they're still sinners. Romans 8, 5, 8. But God shows his own love towards us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So I'm going to leave us with this last hymn, which I think is a powerful hymn, but it's also an invitation to every one of us to consider. Grace greater than our sin. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse where? Within. We can watch the outside. We can be whitewashed tombs inside. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than what? Listen to me. It does not matter what you're carrying today. It can be forgiven if you'll just throw it in his direction and, and, and just receive his forgiveness. In verse 3 of that same uh, great hymn, marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. And sing that to yourself. There's nowhere else you're going to find the kind of grace that God provides. Freely bestowed on all who believe. Do you just believe it? Do you trust it? I believe there's some in this room right now that are not sure if they believe it or not. But listen to me. This is an invitation he has for you. That, that freely bestowed. It's given to you as a gift of, of grace for those who will believe. All who are longing to see his face, which every one of us will have the opportunity, does not matter if you believe or not, you will see Jesus and you will bow and confess that he is Lord. So the question that the hymn asks us, will you this moment his grace receive?